Good evening. I'm glad you're here. Glad we get to worship together. We're going to be in uh, Psalm 119 tonight. If you will join me there, I think it'd be helpful to you. It's good to see every, every one of you. Since my team got knocked out of the tournament, I thought I'd just preach right through the Auburn game tonight. So I picked a psalm that has 176 verses. So let's get started with verse 1. Get, get comfortable. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I think Auburn plays at 610 or so. So we'll get out before 8. It'll be, it'll be fine. Um, Psalm 119, though, seriously, uh, we're not, we're not going to look at, <laughs> we're not going to look at 176 verses. We're not even really going to look at a paragraph. We're going to focus our attention mostly on one verse. I, I put on the back of the bulletin eight verses uh, because it's a, it's a paragraph. And you may remember from looking at Psalm 119, you probably got designations there. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's broken down into these 22 sections of eight verses each. And uh, the sec- each one of the sections corresponds to one letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So if you've got a Bible that does it, I'm sure you likely do. The first eight verses correspond to the letter Aleph, second eight verses to the letter Bait, and so on. And every verse within that section begins with the letter Aleph in the first eight verses. And every, every verse in the second section begins with the letter Bait, and, uh, and, and on and on. And so... This psalm is designated um, according to that, that kind of, is broken down according to that sort of um, theme. Now, what, what we're going to look at is the second of those. We're going to look at bait. We're going to look at um, 9 through 16. This is all beginning with the letter B, basically, the letter bait in Hebrew. And, but there's an emphasis in this section that permeates the whole psalm. And I want to explore this with you for a little bit tonight. What you've got in Psalm 176 is a a really an extended reflection on the value of the Word of God. And so tonight, it's going to be fairly, you know, a practical kind of lesson to a Sunday night crowd that you're here tonight because you want to be faithful, you want to walk with the Lord, you want His Word to shape your life. And yet, I'm guessing that you probably are like most people in this room, most of us in this room, you struggle with certain aspects of your faith, of your, of your Christian walk. And one of those is likely, at least at times, you struggle with your attention to the Word of God in your private devotional life. And this psalm addresses that in a lot of different ways. And we're going to key in on one verse, really, and that's verse 11. But I want to go ahead and read all eight verses that correspond to the letter bait. So just follow along with me, if you would. I'm going to read, starting in verse 9, going through verse 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 176 verses. You know how many of them in this psalm have something to do with an emphasis on the Word of God, something related to that? Out of 176, there are 171. You can find five verses in this whole psalm that don't say something directly about the Word of God. And and what I mean by that is some synonym. He uses statutes, precepts, ordinances, commandments, word, and so on. 171 out of 176. 
you get the impression that for the psalmist, the word of God was pretty important. There are some many, there are many blessings that come along after the invention of the printing press. You know that, after, that, that prior to that, having a copy of the Bible was very rare. Um, it was chained to the pulpit, as they say, in a, in a language that most people couldn't read, even if they had a Bible. And many people were illiterate at that time anyway. But, but prior to that, you didn't have you know, copies of the Bible float, floating around. It took a lot of money, a lot of time to, to copy a, uh, the Scriptures. And so most people didn't have a copy of it. And that's, that's a negative thing. I mean, I think we can certainly make the argument that you know, post-Gutenberg, you've got this emphasis, this, this availability of Scripture that's a, that's a good thing. You've got how many copies of the Bible do you have, just printed copies, not even to mention the ones that you have access to on your tablet or your phone. Um, so I want to say that's really good, but I also want to say this. There's some negative things that go along with having something readily available, and, and that is that it becomes a little bit, well, it's there, it's always there. If I need it, it's going to be there. And so I don't, there's a tendency at least, I'm not going to pay that much attention to it. Uh, there's that temptation, you know. And, and especially, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but especially with this, this, this practice, this habit that so many believers have had for, for the last you know, thousands and thousands of years, going back, predating Christianity, this practice of memorizing Scripture. They had to memorize it. They, didn't, they couldn't look it up on their tablet, you know. They, they didn't have that. They couldn't even get the old-fashioned kind of a prep Bible and look up in the concordance, you know. They, they didn't have that. And so they had to memorize it. And, and you've probably heard stories about the, the practice of the Jews, uh, these young boys especially, young boys being taught Scripture from, a, from, a, from infancy. And they would memorize it, and they could just recite it. And, 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 and you see that emphasis in Scripture. This, it's all over the place. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. But, but the emphasis here f- for you and me, I want to do a little bit of a continuation from this morning. If you weren't here, here's the gist of it. God cares a whole lot about sin, and he cares a whole lot about our attitude towards sin. And if we're going to walk with him, we need to have the same attitude he has about sin, and that is we need to try not to do it. And when we do it, we need to repent of it immediately, as quickly as possible, to, so that we don't become lax in our approach to it. So, with that having been said, that emphasis from this morning, look at verse 11. You know, how do you do this? How do you, how do you not sin? It's, 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 it's our goal not to sin. How do you not sin? Well, he gives us this answer here, and this isn't the only answer, but this is certainly one of the big answers. I have stored up my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. Our goal as Christians is to bring God glory, and we bring God glory by not sinning and by doing the good thing, doing the things that are right. And so when we sin, we are not bringing glory to God. We are going against our very purpose in being created. We are put here to reflect the image of God. Remember that? We studied this a while back, this Imago Dei, the image of God, the glory of God in us. We are to reflect the glory of God, and all that got messed up in the fall, and God is gradually transforming us into his image. But what does that look like? What does that glory of God, what does that image of God look like in us? Well, it looks like somebody who doesn't sin. Because every time we sin, we mar that image of God in us a little bit more. And so it's not an overstatement to say the reason you are here and the reason I'm here is to not sin. I don't mean that it's all about not doing something. I mean by not sinning, 
not only the negative things, but not doing the right thing and so on. Our, our, our goal here is to bring glory to God. How do we do that? His one sentence answer is, store the word of God in your heart, in your heart. Now, look at that expression with me for a minute. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I want to we'll look at it in, in really three segments, starting in the middle. Your word. I think what he had in mind here is the psalmist did, of course, writing, you know, writing sometime several hundred years at least before Christ. So he had in mind, no doubt, the law, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. He had in mind the prophets, the 17 books of, of the prophets. Some of them, at least, were written by the time he was writing this. And then he probably had in mind some of the wisdom literature, some of the Proverbs, um, you know, Song of Songs, and, and so on, Lamentations, and others. And, and um, I, but I think, it's, I think it's fine for us to do this. We extrapolate from that idea of, of word here, and, and, and from that, I believe it's perfectly appropriate for us to say, from our perspective, the word includes the entire, new, the entire Bible. Not only what was in the Old Testament, which was most of what he was talking about, but also the New Testament, because it was regarded by scripture as Scripture by the early Christians, and it bears the mark of God's divine inspiration. So I want to just assume that as we go forward in this, that when we're talking about the word here, for us, we're talking about the entire canon of Scripture, the 66 books of the Bible. So I have stored up your word. Everything that God had revealed up until that point, he's talking about for us, everything God has revealed up until our day and time, which is the Bible. So I've stored up your word, and then he says, in my heart. And then we're going to go back to the first phrase. I've stored up your word, that's the word of God. I have stored up your word in my heart. The, I don't know of any catchy way of explaining what he's talking about here. I think we know what he's talking about. He's saying that this needs to be in you, in who you are, not just that you know where it is, but that it's in your heart. And it really hard, it's really hard to talk about that without the previous expression. I have treasured or I have stored up your word in my heart. To get an idea of what he's talking about, you skip down to verse 15 and he says, I will meditate on your precepts. And there are so many implications in this psalm and all over the Old Testament that when they talk about storing up the word in your heart, they talk about meditating on the precepts, they're not talking about getting out a copy of the scroll because they didn't have that. They're talking about meditating on what they already had and they had it in their hearts because they had spent the time and the training in their lives memorizing it. So they had it within them. When he says this, I've treasured, I've stored up your word in my heart, he is saying that they have read it or heard it read so many times. It's been such a part of their training that it is within them. And that leads them not to sin against God. I have stored up your word in my heart. The word... Store, this is ESV translation, I have stored up, um, is a little bit different from what you may have unless you're using it. I think the ESV is the only one who puts this stored up. If you're using NIV, I think you've got 
hidden, right? I've, I've hidden his word in my heart. Uh, or you might have, tre- I can't remember which puts it which, but there are three basic translations. Stored up, I have treasured your word, and I have hidden your word. All trying to get to this meaning of this verb here. But it means, the reason, the reason you've got treasure and treasured and hidden is because that's what they did with treasures. They didn't put them in a safe deposit box. They didn't deposit them in the local bank. They hid them in the earth. And so if you get that kind of image in your mind, he's talking about taking the word, which wasn't a scroll, but it was, it was the word of God, kind of abstract. But you take it like a treasure and you dig a, you dig a hole, as it were, in your heart and you put it there. That's what you do with something precious. You're not hiding in the earth like they would do treasures, but you're, you're taking the word of God and you're just burying it deeply within your heart so that it cannot escape. Anybody in this room, don't raise your hand, but anybody in this room struggling with some sort of sin right now, some sort of habitual practice? Uh, I mean, it could range any, I mean, you know, the spectrum of sins that we commit. We all have sins that tempt us more than others, and we have sins that we struggle with more than others. If you ask me, based on my reading of Scripture, what's the first thing I need to do in order to try to do a better job in pleasing God in that aspect of my life? My answer would be, based on my reading of Psalm 119 and other passages, you need to make a daily and habitual practice of reading Scripture and meditating on Scripture and memorizing Scripture. The psalmist says to us, if you want to glorify God by not sinning against Him, your first reaction is to read to meditate on, and to memorize scripture. Dallas Willard, who wrote this book called Spirit of the Disciplines, but I don't think it's in that book. I think it's in the other book he wrote. No, I think it, maybe it is. It is in Spirit of the Disciplines. He wrote another one uh, that was also good. He's written a lot about the disciplines, and by disciplines we're talking about like Christian practices that you engage in on a on a, on a habitual basis, uh, daily basis, things that you engage in in order to develop spirituality, in order for God to work within you to, to develop spirituality. So in this book, he says this. He says, as a pastor, teacher, and counselor, I have repeatedly seen the transformation of inner and outer life that comes simply from memorization and meditation upon Scripture. Personally, I would never undertake to lead a church or guide a program of Christian education that did not involve a continuous program of memorization of the choicest passages of Scripture for people of all ages, end quote. That's on page 150. This is from someone who has spent his life trying to figure out how God does his work in developing Christian maturity. And he says, rightly so, I think, he says the first thing, if I'm put in charge of developing the spiritual education of a church, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get people to memorize Scripture. You can't memorize Scripture without reading Scripture. You can't memorize Scripture without meditating on Scripture uh, because it's got to, you've got to go through this process. I guess you could, you could just do it on a superficial level, but it's really hard not to think about what you're memorizing. And yet, isn't it interesting that we don't typically, in our churches, we don't do a whole lot of memorizing after you get out of, I don't know, we have scripture verses. I honestly don't know. I probably should know, but I don't. At what age we stop memorizing scripture, but it's pretty young. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing that we stop this. 
this is emphasized all over the Psalms, especially in this Psalm. And, and I think for, for many of them, it, many of the early Christians and even beyond that before Christianity, the, the faithful Jewish people, it was assumed that you would do this. They didn't, you got to put yourself back in their shoes. They didn't have copies of the Bible floating around and yet they knew it so well. There's this book I had to read and it's called The Echoes of Scripture in the Letters of Paul. It's by Richard Hayes. And he's written a companion one that is called The Echoes of Scripture in the Gospel. And basically what he does is he looks at how, in the one I've read, the one by Paul, about Paul, he, he looks at how Paul used the Old Testament. And it's really interesting because you don't recognize, if you look at the 13 letters of Paul and you're not really thinking about this, you're not searching for it, you may, this may escape unnoticed from you. But if you start looking for it, you'll be overwhelmed with how much Paul uses scripture in his letters, the Old Testament. In fact, you don't even know it unless you've, well, one, unless you've got a Bible that designates it, you'll, you'll probably see it. And it's good to have a Bible, you know, that, that sets it off in, in some sort of indention, a left and right indention, so you can see he's quoting. But even with that, that will be overwhelming just to do that. But beyond that, how often Paul not only quotes, but he just alludes to these images and these these, these things that come out of the Old Testament. And the only conclusion scholars can come to is that Paul, he knew every word of the Old Testament. He, he knew it by heart. And as he wrote, it just spilled out of him. It's just like he couldn't do anything but quote it because he's writing about things of God and how can you write about things of God without quoting the Word of God? And if you've ever engaged in a period of time when you memorize Scripture, you'll find it bubbling to the surface. There were... When I was in school, we had to memorize books of the Bible. You had to memorize the book of James and write it. The final exam was just write the book of James down. And that discipline you know, is, is a pretty tedious thing. But what I found was that just in casual conversation, when I was memorizing the book of James, in casual conversation, James would just kind of <laughs> fly out of me. You know, It's just because you're thinking about it that much and and, and, and something would happen, you'd think, oh, yeah, there's this, there's this verse that applies to that. And it, it's just amazing what I think what God does when, and I don't know why we don't just keep doing, why I don't, I don't just keep doing that. Why don't we just spend the time in the Word of God like that? Because God energizes His Word by His Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, Ephesians 6 says. It's just this, this basic thing that most of us ignore. I don't know why. And I think some of it is just the fact that we, well, I don't have to memorize it. I can look it up. And, and even, even more so than looking it up here, this is kind of hard. Isn't it interesting that you and I might say, man, it's hard to look things up in the Bible like this. I mean, this is an amazing thing until, until 15 years ago. I don't know, this is maybe 20, 30 years ago. And this is an amazing thing just to have it all in one place. And now, this is a little bit tedious. Oh, man, I don't know where that passage is. You know, just kind of flip through it. I don't remember what side, it's the side of the page it's on, but I, I, don't, I don't remember. It's kind of hard. It takes a long time to do. And so, I, I think it kind of developed us into lazy Christians, uh, as far as the word is concerned, you know, sometimes. What he's saying to us is, we need to spend time in it. And I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on him, just trying to get you to, us, all of us, to think, about this daily discipline. That is a, is a basic thing. 
but to engage in it. There will be times where you don't want to do it. There will be times when you don't feel like doing it. Uh, but it's like all disciplines. You do it anyway. Uh, you do it anyway. You know very well, all of us know very well, that with any kind of exercise, it's not always going to be pleasant. In fact, most of the time it's not going to be pleasant when you go out for a run or you work out in whatever way. But you do it because you know that over time it'll get easier and it'll develop the strength and endurance that you want. And the same thing is true with Scripture. It will be hard at times and you'll have to force yourself to do it, but you do it because you want what it's going to bring about in your heart, you know, in your life, where God's going to use it and he's going to change your heart as a result of it. There's just John Piper says this actually in Proverbs. Well, he uses this, this uh, illustration from Proverbs 6, 8. Let me set it up like this. Why does, the answer is found in the Proverbs, but why does the ant prepare her food in the summer? Happen to remember this? Why does the ant prepare her food in the summer? You know the answer. So that she can gather her provision in the harvest. She prepares her food in the summer, not because she needs the food in the summer, but because she knows she's going to need the food in the winter. And Piper uses that as an illustration, and really it's not out of context in Proverbs 6 to do this. Why do you study the Bible every day? Why do you memorize Scripture? Why do you spend time every day reading it, meditating on it, and memorizing it? Because there's going to come a day when you're going to get the knock on your door. You're going to get the test back from the doctor. You're going you're to face this situation that you do not want to face. And you're going to need the scripture. You're going to need it in your heart. You're going to need it to become a part of you, to be a part of you already. You're going to need it to come bubbling out of your heart in that moment. There's going to come a time in your life where you're faced with a temptation, a temptation that's your weak spot, and the opportunity is there, and maybe you can get away with it. You think there's anonymity there. What are you going to do, you know, when those moments come? If you've got the scripture, if you've, if you've taken the food in the summer, you know, if you stored up the food in the summer, it'll be ready for you in the harvest. That's his point, and that's a powerful point. And so this really is just a, a practical thing that he's teaching us here, and it is do what you need to do. Everybody in this room is busy, and we're distracted. We've got a thousand different electronic distractions all in your lap, in your purse, in your house, all of these things that are designed, the very, the, very exist, the, the very success of their maker is based on you getting addicted to it. That's how they make money, is when you pick up your phone, you click on that app. Not only that, but you stay on the app. They, they got to do things to keep you on it. So the very, our very society is structured around making you feel like you need to spend time doing something that doesn't help you spiritually. And so a challenge for us as, as Christians, a challenge for us as parents in, in, in all of our relationships and the opportunities we have to influence people 
is to not let the Word of God get squeezed out of our lives. And everybody in this room has been guilty of that. I know that. All of us have at times because of all these distractions. Logan, uh, my son, he got this app on his uh, phone called Moment. And you download the app. And I guess this is kind of interesting that when I'm going to describe to you what the purpose of it is, it's kind of ironic. But the purpose of Moment is to show you how much time you spend on your device. And so you install the app on your phone, your iPad. Your, I'm, I'm sure it's available. I'm guessing it's available for Android devices as well. But um, you, you, know, you log in and you keep it running in the background all the time. And that at the end of every day, or maybe in the middle of the night, it, it, it gives you an update and it says, all right, here's your, this is how many times you picked up your phone. This is how many, this is how many minutes or hours you spent on you know, email or Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever it is. And then it compares that this is, this is 33 minutes more than you did the day before. You know, it shows trends and all this stuff. It's, it's pretty interesting. And it's also downright humbling and convicting. Like, did I really? You've got to be kidding me. There's no way. There's no way I looked at that, you know, that I had that app open on my phone that long yesterday. I don't, I don't remember. But I think that's the thing. We, we spend all this time and we don't even realize that we're doing it. And yet, how many of us will then say, I just don't have time to read my Bible, you know? I don't have time to do it. You've done that before? I know I have. I don't have as much time to do it as I'd like. And that's not the problem. We know that's not the problem. The problem isn't we don't have enough time. The problem isn't, you know, problem something different. problem is we've got other distractions that are keeping us from it. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, you can talk about this for a long time. I'm not, I'm not going to. We're, we're going to stop. Uh, but I guess just in summary, it's not what I hope is not a guilt trip. Um, but maybe there's, maybe there's a little bit of conviction that ought to be experienced by all of us in this area. And it is God works wonders when we use his tools, when we do things the way he told us to do. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? When we just do what God told us to do, God does things. And I wonder how many missed opportunities we've had because, well, I didn't have time or I didn't do this. I just got so many things going on. Um, but just my challenge for us as a church is not let a day go by where you didn't spend some time reading your Bible, meditating on it, and memorizing it. I wonder what it would be like if every one of us committed ourselves to memorizing a verse a week. That's not much. Even if you're not a good memorizer, you can memorize a verse. Um, you can memorize a verse, and then you memorize another verse next week, and you pick out some of the power verses, some of, the, you know, some of those verses that just, just relate to so many things we're going to. Verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. I mean, you go on and on and on. Just create an index card where you and your family memorize one verse per week. And see, I, I challenge you to do this. And I wish you'd come back to me and if you do it. And come back to me in six months and, and let me know. Either way, you come back to me in six months and say, you know what, I did it. And I don't even remember a single time when I thought about one of those verses other than when I was memorizing them. 
It never, never came up. I doubt you'll do that, though. My guess is you'd come back in six months and you'd say, you know what, I was amazed by, just memorizing one verse a week, how many situations I faced where that verse came to mind. And it helped me to deal with or face a certain particular challenge that I was facing. My guess is that's what would happen if we all committed to do that. If you're not a Christian tonight, we invite you to uh, give your heart to Christ. Christian life is not the easy life, uh, but it's the best life. It's the life wherein God works. And uh, he, he brings about his will in your life, and you can, you can become one tonight. We would be thrilled to be a part of that with you, to baptize you into Jesus based on your confession of trust in him and based on your commitment to turn your back on sin, based on your confession that you believe that he is the Son of God, then we would baptize you tonight. And what a beautiful thing that would be. Maybe you need to come back to him. You've, you've done that. You've, you've become a Christian, but your life has reflected something other than that, and you want to come back to him tonight. That's why we're here. Let's stand and sing this song. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come.